As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello to all of our fungal associates out there, and hello, Casey. Hello, Alex. Casey, do this for me. Imagine a job mm. where you can work whenever you want, okay, on whatever you want, Ooh. from wherever you want. Ow. Where would you choose? Mm, a tree. Naturally. Is that too obvious? No, I. Well, y- not too obvious, but okay. it is obvious. On brand, obvious. Now, what if I told you that? this dream job could become your reality. I would do it. This is the life of a freelancer like me. And with some hard work and the help of Hectic, it could be your life too. Hectic is an all-in-one business management software built specifically for freelancers like you who are just getting started or looking to take their freelancing business to the next level. From an easy-to-use contracts and proposals builder to client management and project tracking to expenses and invoicing that features click-to-pay technology that makes it quick and easy for freelancers to get paid. All of the stuff that freelancers hate doing the most, Hectic takes care of it. Built specifically for freelancers, Hectic is everything you need to get started. Visit gethecticapp.com slash completely arbitrary now to learn more and start for free. Yep. Adding your first client on the platform will always be free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com slash completely arbitrary, you'll be supporting us in this podcast because who couldn't use a little extra support right now, Casey? Oh, yes, please. Visit gethecticapp.com slash completely arbitrary and arbitrary is spelled A-R-B-O-R-T-R. A-R-Y, to find everything you need to start or grow your freelancing business today and put those in-demand skills to good use the way you've always dreamed of. Casey, I wish I had Hectic App when I lost my job to COVID in March. That probably would have been pretty helpful because you could have basically started yourself as your own business. Yeah. Instead, I fumbled my way through everything and life was hell. <laughs> Visit gethecticapp.com slash completely arbitrary. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y today to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Completely Arbitrary. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. <laughs> I was debating whether to say my last name as well. Yeah. I'm mixing it up. Well, who are you? Oh, my name is Casey Clapp. I am the other host of this lovely podcast, Completely Arbitrary. Yeah. 
don't ever let it get spell checked again. Should we eventually come up with a uh, with some copy that we read consistently every week for the opening? I think every single opening we've had has been uh, unique. Yeah, I prefer that honestly. I I don't think we should put ourselves in a box. You know what I mean? Okay. Nope. I think the word. I also think the word unique is giving ourselves a lot of credit. <laughs> we <laughs> just don't have a plan when we go in. Yeah, there's someone out there who's like, "This is the most creative beginning I've ever heard in my life." Yeah, we're we're very we're like uh we're like Picassos of uh podcast intros. God, <laughs> we're <laughs> sounds good. So if we are Picassos of podcasts, does that mm-hmm. mean one day we're gonna be able to pay for like our tab at some bar by just speaking into a microphone for like 30 seconds and then giving that away yeah i think uh we do open mics and we get free we get free drinks yes oh just free drinks oh should we do it should we do an open mic I've, i I do want to do a live mm. completely arbitrary show at some point that's ambitious and if i've learned anything from saying things into this microphone it's that now that i've said it people are going to Shoot. request it <laughs> you're <laughs> like right where forever t-shirt oh uh, those are coming <gasps> Yeah. Probably. Those are coming. We're going to get those on the way here. Hey, we'll make it happen eventually. By the next, I think, if we do another oak, which, I'm sorry, when we do another yes. oak, I think then, if if we really start to get, you know, everyone's like, no, hey, listen, we, we need these. Yeah. Then, of course, we're going to do it. We're going to feed the masses. You know, whatever you want, you get. That's what, I mean, I fully agree. Every question that's ever been asked for a Q&A, we're going to mm-hmm. answer eventually. Every single one. And every tree that's ever been requested, we're going to cover in an episode. Dang straight. That's our guarantee. That's the completely arbitrary guarantee. I wish we had a stamp that we could put on. An arbitrary guarantee. You know, we got to make one of those now, too, Casey. Oh, shoot. we got to stop <laughs> suggesting things. Casey, how are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm doing really great. I'm trying to think of uh, um, all these things that have been happening. Hmm. Mm. I don't know why I'm doing great. I guess it's just my manner of being. That's, I, wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. I enjoy things. I had a, a <laughs> nice weekend. I saw my grandparents last weekend. Yeah. You know, we're still in COVID, of course, so it's still, you know, trying to do things from afar. But it's nice to see them because they, they live with my mom and then went up to the other uh, the other grandparent that lives away. And it was just uh, it was nice. Did like a family weekend last weekend. You know what else you did last weekend? What? You helped your co-host... Oh move some shit out of a storage unit that's been <laughs> yes, there way too long. That is true. It wasn't that long. I've seen worse. No, it was it was manage it was a manageable amount of stuff. We did it all in one trip, one yeah. day. We had a fun time. I re- I enjoyed my time with you. I really did. I thought it was great and you bought me a hamburger afterwards. I did. I got a little hangry toward the end. Oh, no, I didn't. Could hear you tell? That. No, I not at all. I okay. thought you were, I thought you were normal. So maybe you're Well, your normal is hangry. Mm, no, I, th- I think I'm just good at uh, stifling my <laughs> frustration. And I'm just really good at, at, at pushing my emotions down uh-huh. so that no one can see them. Hey, we're we're, we're, Pacific, we're Pacific Northwesterners. That's true. That's our whole deal. <laughs> we are. Yeah. The uh, uh, passive aggressive, right? Yes. Yes, that's true. Classic passive aggressive people. Try not to be. I'm trying not to be at least. Yeah, I've been. I I used to. I used to kind of be. And then, like over the last couple of years, I've really. Uh, Started speaking my mind. I think it's a it's a little bit nicer as long as you don't do it in a mean way. Casey, uh, so here's the here's the rub, my man. We uh, are covering a tree this week uh, that is European. That's right. In fact, it even has European in its common name. Yes, it does. Or at least the, the common name that we use. If yes. I've learned anything from this podcast, is that naming conventions for trees is a bonkers situation. It's almost untenable. Yeah. But it has it's a European tree and it it's a it's a very British tree. Yes. Um 
It's it's used in British head. You might find a, a row of these trees at Buckingham Palace lining a walkway. But because I have to have a gimmick for every episode, because that's how my, my brain works, um, <laughs> this episode, you and I are enjoying some tea, as yes, is the British way. quite. I would take a sip of mine, but I think I would scald the inside of my mouth. Hey, this, you know, give the people what they want. It's boiling in my glass. All right, let's... Let's take a sip of our teas. Oh, it's not too bad. It was so low. I thought that this was a much, much like yeah. fuller cup. So I was just like breathing in. You had a lot of <laughs> runway there. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We're gonna have to start this show over again. This is this is great tea. Yeah, it's, isn't that great? It's a little too late, so I didn't. I asked for a non-caffeinated tea. Mm-hmm. So what did you give me? That's a, a chai turmeric, ginger Thai turmeric, turmeric oh. or something. This is perfect. It'll it'll uh, it's good for your systems. It's yellow. Yeah, it's it's that's the turmeric in it. Wow, is this what like colors spoons when I make curries? Isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Uh, or curry, I guess. Yeah. Wow. One um, or two. And we're also enjoying uh, a classic uh, British cookie. I think it's British. Nobody fact check me on that, please. <laughs> Some biscoffs. I love biscoffs. So, Casey, let's open our biscoffs together. All right, let's open our biscoffs while we talk about. <laughs> The European hornbeam. Oh, nice transition. Wait, get in there. Hold on. Now my finger's wet from holding that tea bag. Oh, yeah. This is really hard. Do you think people like this? I don't think so. But well, we're gonna. Sorry, we're, we're gonna, gonna figure it out. All right, right, let's try it. Ah. You gotta dunk it. What? It's oh, a, it's a Dunkin' cookie. I didn't know that. Mm. Nobody tells me the etiquette of these things on the airplane. They're just like, "Do you want a cookie?" And I'm like, "Hell yeah! You have six. I do wish I was dunking it in milk, but tea is just fine, too. All right. Mmm. 100% better without dunking it. Sorry. Wow. Yep. I'm going to stick with that. I like Controversial take. All right. I'm a dunker. We're going to lose every every uh, every European listener now. They're going to be like, what? How dare he? <laughs> um, well, anyway. Yeah, so this week we're t- we are talking about... The European horn beam, Carpinus betulus. Some people might call it Carpinus betulus. Carpinus betulus? Yep. Pinus sounds like pine. It does, right? Actually, I had thought for a long time that perhaps that was the, like, somehow it was related to that. But according to my research, it literally is just the classical Latin name. So they would call this tree the Carpinus or the Carpinus. And betulus uh, is birch. That's right. It is the genus name for the birch tree. Because it's in the birch family. It is in the birch family, it, which is betulaceae. But that's Ooh. not exactly why. It's more that they usually name that specific epithet, which is that second title uh-huh. in the genus species or the genus and then the specific epithet. Together, they're the, the species. The... Uh, specific epithet betulus means that it's the birch-like carpinus ah, usually, but I see. I really couldn't tell you what makes this tree more birch-like than anything else. The leaves, kind of, but not really. Well, let's talk about the uh, appearance of this tree as we do every week, Casey. Well, let's imagine we are walking through. You know what? I just watched the favorite. Have you seen this film? No, I don't think so. Sorry. I'm on a, I'm on a real... Uh, still eating my Biscoff. <laughs> you take your time with that Biscoff. That's a take your time kind of cookie. Thank you so much. You support me so well. <laughs> it's really loaded with sugar. It makes my molars hurt. <laughs> it's making me like shoot, just shoot up with energy right now. I'm a, I'm a big... I'm really into Elizabethan stuff and, and uh, it's a movie set in that era. All right. And... Um, I guarantee you there's some European horn beams in this film. Oh, I'm sure. So let's imagine we are at a palace. Walking through. Uh, walking down like kind of a gravel pathway. 
slowly with our parasols. Mm-hmm. And our canes. Yes. And our big, bushy wigs. Oh, obviously. What am I, a peon? And we're talking about the war with France, <laughs> as you do. Um, and we see some European horn beams, and I, I stop and I say, Casey, pray tell me about this tree. All right. You're walking down the streets of your Elizabethan palace. And the way you can tell a European hornbeam is the two main things. Um, this is actually going to be slightly different if you are in a an American palace um, at the same time, by the way. Hmm. Um, the only, or the big thing about it is it has really, really smooth gray bark. And there's a native species in the United States, the... Um, Carolina uh, or Carpinus Carolina, and it's the American hornbeam, and they call it the muscle wood. And they both have a really similar bark to them, where they have really smooth, thin gray bark that is very sinewy. It looks like muscles. So as soon as it like starts to get you know a little bit bigger, you can really see like it has these ridges in it, and you would it looks like what you would call a muscle. Like, Weird. Yeah, it really has that effect. Kind of not. Um, there's another the European beach. It is very circular, and a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's the the European beach looks more like an elephant's uh, leg or something, where it's gray and kind of has these folds in it, but it's very smooth and circular." Mm. Whereas the Carpinus betulus will stay circular when it's young, but then as it gets older, it'll develop these kind of little ridges and bumps and become very sinewy. Interesting. Yeah. And then the leaves are really adorable. They're very small, um, only a couple inches long, and they have these, uh, they're kind of rough. So if you feel them, they actually have veins that come out very um, perpendicular to each other. So the veins are very straight, pop, 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 pop on either side. Uh huh. And you can feel them, and you can kind of feel little bumps and a little bit of ridge. They have um, serrated margins on the on the edge. And so the margin is the technical term for the edge of the leaf. Oh, cool. So. If anyone says, oh, the margin of the leaf is um, smooth or glabrous or something like that, um, the term would be entire. So an entire margin would be like a willow where there's no bumps, there's no edges. It's just a perfectly smooth sh- sh- mm. on the sides. A white oak? Um, yeah, except the white oak, has, I guess lobe, it has guess. lobes. Yeah. But you know, and then the question is like, well, when is it a lobe versus you know a different thing? Oh, that's a whole other topic. Yep. But these will have... Um, doubly serrate um, leaves. And so for every serration, there is another serration. So there's big um, serrations like on a a serrated knife. But then if you look closely, it also has little teeny tiny serrations on each one of those serrations. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like each serration is serrated. So it's a doubly serrated uh, leaf margin. There's your technical terms. You know what? I am I am referencing uh, the Sibley Guide to Trees uh, uh, as I do now every episode. My my prized uh, gift from Casey um, and the European hornbeam. There's not a lot about it, but what it does feature prominently is the leaf mm-hmm. of the European hornbeam. And I didn't think it was anything special until you described it. And now that I look at it, I'm like, oh, that is kind of cool. And then the last thing with these uh, with the descriptions, they they kind of have this big rounded, very globule form, like they just look like big circles. Um, or uh, the the difference between the the one that you'll see natively growing in Europe, which is where it's native to Europe and southern England, and just kind of way very very western Asia, it will have um, that'll be a very globule or globose crown, whereas the ones that grow over here are usually a cultivar called Fastigiata, 
which just grows straight up. It has a very, very conical um, growth pattern. So it grows and has almost all of its branches just angled to go up and out. Very much not a kind of tree that um, would be the great underneath power lines, but people still plant them there. But it's it's great for the streets where they just plant them in these little tiny beds. It can take really, really rough, awful conditions like a street planter strip, and then it just grows up and out. So you don't have to worry about trucks uh, hitting them, and it grows over the top of the sidewalk rather than directly out into the road or something like that. It's kind of nice. Yeah, and they have these really cool... Um, Nutlets is the fruit, and this is, there's actually two fun little bits that we get to add in about this, is that their fruit is a nut, which is funny because when you see it, and if you'll, uh, we'll hopefully get some pictures or anyone can look it up, when you look at the photos of the fruit, you're like, that's not a nut. That doesn't look anything like a nut. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, technically, it's a nut lit, so it's just a small nut. And all a nut is is a dehiscent fruit that's dry and hard, usually has one seed in it. So a nut would be a um, a acorn. walnut, an acorn. Those are all nuts. Um, a filbert. All the things that you would think, you'd say, oh, yeah, there's nuts. That's, those are nuts. Um, this is a nut, just very small, and it has a bract with three lobes on it. Ah. And a bract, which is another fun term that we're going to add in, is a modified leaf. Usually, it's a modified leaf right at the base of a flower uh, but it also can be on a fruit or something like that they are uh they are featured in uh the douglas fir cone as well right exactly the so, mouse butts are frac uh frax <laughs> they're frax uh brax brax thank you yeah so though that's the um those are the the main parts that you'd see if you're walking down the street you'd see this really muscly looking tree and or i'm sorry in the palace i should say thank you quiet um, but I did say street because they are so common here in the United States as a street tree. What about in Portland? Oh my God! They're really? Almost, they're too common here sometimes. Well, gosh, another tree in Portland. I never, I've never, like, I can't picture having seen. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I have. I'm sure you absolutely have. I, I don't think you can walk around town and not see this tree. In fact. During our ginkgo episode, I said that I had—I don't think I'd ever seen a ginkgo, and you said that cannot be true. Yes. And then you said, now that we've talked about ginkgos and you know what they look like, you're going to see them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? What? Walking around the neighborhood, I'm constantly seeing decaying ginkgo leaves on the on That's, the ground. You sent me a photo of that. That's right. Yeah. Everyone else, go out there, look around, and see if you can spot these trees. Because if you live in anywhere that's relatively, I mean, maybe. I think, no, because they can grow all the way up into Minnesota easily, certainly B.C. Hmm. So I would be willing to bet that you could find these trees in almost every single city in the United States that's planting street trees. It's not a, not a rare tree. No. Hmm. Not rare. And then if you're going walking around through a palace or through a um, an old-fashioned classical-style garden, they're used as hedge trees where a lot of times they would be um, – they actually will prune them up to have a single stem and then they will cut the top into a hedge so you have like a literal like horizontal raised hedge it looks so funny but yes I, I love it <laughs> i love it too and i i actually was thinking before because like an you know an arbovita is also a hedge tree yeah and i thought to myself why do i like the european horn the way the european hornbeam looks and not the arbovita Ooh, okay. i think there's a couple reasons because i i like the the look of the broad leaf oh uh Hornbeam, gotcha. But also, I feel like the way they're the way they're pruned and shaped, mm-hmm. uh, they look more tree like than an arborvita. Ooh, 
interesting. Often to me, an arborvita looks just like a really tall bush. Yeah. But I will say like a lot of my favorite shape of a hornbeam. Yeah. I'm looking at here on Google. Okay. Is a, it almost looks like a spearhead. All right. With a spear shaft as the as the trunk. Oh yeah. As the stem. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they look great. Yeah. They're they're lovely little trees. I guess maybe the difference would be that they can get much bigger, like easily within the same amount of time, they'll be two or three times the size of a of an arborvita. Mm. But the thing that I think is a little bit different as opposed to the arborvita. So arborvita and other hedges that we would plant over here, a lot of times they're privacy screens. Yeah. Where we're trying to keep things, you know, I keep people from looking in our yards or, you know, keep the animals in, something like that, or, or, you know, block an ugly building. So they're not useless trees. I know I said that before, but I I take it back. It's in the European style use, at least in most of the ways that I've seen them. Mm -hmm. They are in, like, parks and gardens in this very formal, classical style um, formal hedge. So if, if you go to, like, the gardens of Versailles, then you see these insane, like, very manicured garden boxes where you have this perfectly formed hedge that is huge and is, you know, exactly 10 feet tall and then exactly flat and level with perfect corners. And it's lining a certain area. And there's a lot of things in garden design, especially Japanese garden design, where they are specifically hiding things in spaces of the garden from you as you're walking through a different space. Oh, interesting. So as you're going down, say, the entrance to it, they have these big hedges on the side so you don't see what's going on inside. And then when you get into the garden, all of a sudden it opens up and it's like this wonderland, mm. you know? And then you also want to keep spaces and rooms away so you can, if you have something that's tall and skinny and they're kind of close together, it feels like a hallway, so to speak. Yeah. And you're, you're compelled to move through it. Whereas if it is a little bit shorter, wider spaced, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I, I can stay here. Like I feel like I'm, I feel like I don't need to move. Move. I have, oh, interesting. I, you almost have a, a spot that you can stand in. Huh. And so they use it as a as a means of, you know, not controlling, but encouraging the user of this space, you know, whether it's an old fi- old style, I almost said old fashioned, and then I said style, and old I think file. I tried to put them together. <laughs> so you, on a, on a classical style garden or park in Europe, especially, this is where they've been doing it for, you know, a couple centuries now, they have very specific things that those gardens and those hedges and those um, components of the garden are meant to do. So either to block or to move you through or to create a or a certain aesthetic, you know, all these kinds of things. So they're used, I think, in a much more specific, intentional way that is a part of the the whole garden space, whereas the Arborvita and a lot of other shrubs that we're planting now or other hedge things, they're literally just there to block the other stuff or to make it, you know, a private space inside. Where's the line there? I don't know. Hearing that, that's, that about the Japanese garden design, it, yeah. really, uh, it really makes the term... Uh, landscape architecture kind of right. come into focus for me a little yeah. bit. And when I, I studied landscape architecture for a hot minute yep. at the at the colleges, and there, um, a that's where I learned most of my plants was strangely through a landscape architect. I don't want to say strangely, but if you're an arborist, it, there's like this sort of rift between landscape architecture and arboriculture. Of course, it's it's a funny rivalry, but sometimes it gets a little too real. So we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that Interesting. one. Interesting, but it is a. Um, 
in terms of learning trees, the landscape architecture courses were like, here's a plant and here is all the things that you could ever want to know about it. How tall does it grow? What conditions does it grow? What color is it in the fall? What color is it in the spring? What's the texture? How big is it going to get? Is it going to get wider? Is it going to get taller? And you consider all these very specific attributes for each plant. Then you have to consider how each one of those attributes is going to connect with all the other things. So Casey, how does this all apply to our tree of the week, the European hornbeam? What a great question, Alex. Hey, thanks. Yeah. So the if you're considering all these different things, right, with these trees, mm-hmm. and you are trying to, let's just say, for example, plant a street tree uh, on your road so that it does something, then you want to know how this tree is going to function and then what that tree is going to do in terms of uh, street tree ecosystem benefits and services. Okay, so what is what, what benefit and value am I getting out of the European hornbeam? Exactly. And then how are you going to maximize that with a, you know using trees? Sorry, yeah, the European hornbeam. I listened to your question and I answered it first. <laughs> and then I heard the rest of the question, so I, I rescind my, my pre-answer. <laughs> Sorry. There's nothing wrong with a pre-answer. I'm just going to start pre-answering everything. Uh, So, yeah. So, the European hornbeam is a classic street tree Mm. planted all over the United States, right? So, it is one of the best street trees, hands down. I'm really interested to know why. Well, it is because two things. One, it is an extremely tough tree. You can hmm. plant it in the just the worst soils. Really? Like very compact soils. You can plant it in soils that are have like different acidities and alkalinities and it can be in a soil that kind of gets very dry. It can be in soil that kind of gets very wet and then in these tiny little strips and uh, cutouts in the middle of a city where there's nothing good underneath the pavement. It's just, yeah. you know, soil and swill. And they will still be glorious. This is, again, a good lesson for me because I don't know anything about any of these trees we talk about. And I (laughs) often judge them. God forgive me. I often judge these trees kind of aesthetically. Purely aesthetically. But that's the thing. You are in like the 99%, you know. That's what everyone else does. Yeah, of course. But I, I look at the European hornbeam. And I certainly don't think, wow, what a hardy tree. I bet really? that tree. No, I, I look at it and it, I thought it looked a little stately, a little uh, a little like it was, I mean, maybe I, this is something else interesting. Maybe I'm making kind of a mental association with like Elizabethan England. I think possibly. Yeah, like, that seems quite arbitrary. Yeah. It, I mean, like it, <laughs> it looks it looks to me like a hedge tree on the edge of a palace wall. So yeah. I'm I'm associating it with that sort of whatever. I know. think that sounds totally fair. That's yeah. exactly what I mean. It's what it is. It's what it used to be, certainly. But it's interesting to know that it's just a, a battle-hardened, awesome That's badass. a great way to describe it. And that's mm. that's what it does. And it just keeps growing up. And it has these, a lot of times, the one that's planted here is that, you know, upright growing cultivar. Yeah. And it just keeps on growing. Even though you're like, wow, how, you have 6,000 branches starting from the same exact spot. It doesn't care. It just keeps going. Yeah, that's Really cool. tough wood. It doesn't fall apart. Sometimes they can decay. And every now and then, I think the most common way that I see them uh, get have damage on the streets is a UPS truck. Oh, no. Just crushes into one of the branches. And then they call an emergency and then just drive away. Oh, my God. Yeah, like I'm, they run into the canopy, like yeah, the top of their truck? Like the lowest branch. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, then they, they call in an emergency to the city. And the city's like, all right, we'll send someone out. 
that I used to do that. And then so I would go out and then be like, what? This it's a it's a perfectly gorgeous spring day. It's like sixty five degrees. Why did this branch fall? And then someone's like, "Oh, it was hit by a truck." And I'm yeah. like, "Oh, come on, guys, just pull over somewhere else." I don't know. But then, of course, I I know that that trees are. Um, oh God, why did I set myself up when I'm going to forget the oh, word? Gorgeous. Well, they no, they um, compartmentalize. Yes, that's true. So yeah. losing a branch for such a tough tree is probably not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's just like whatever. Usually, more like what I imagine is that as a truck is driving away, the tree is just yelling back like, "Yeah, take that." <laughs> I've I've seen like bits of trucks. Like the only reason I know it's a UPS truck, they have like uh, on the top corners. There's like uh, their trucks are brown, but they have like a chrome paneled on the top. Oh yeah, and I've seen that like mangled on the side of the road underneath a branch that's wow, broken off. Wow, horn beam. Yeah, it's like that that you mess with the horn beam, the horn beam's going to it's going to leave a mark. It's going to mess right back. Exactly. Good for it. So that's that is ultimately the reason that I think that the horn beam is worth covering even though otherwise it is just this hedge tree mm-hmm. or this, you know, garden tree that's, you know, planted in these very, you know, classical sort of ways. If you come over to the United States, and obviously it's probably elsewhere in the world as well that I haven't visited or wasn't paying close enough attention, shame on me. They're planted in the streets everywhere, and they cause so many good things for the road because they have these really wide canopy, uh, really strong wooded branches. Capacious. Capacious. Oh, my God. Every time you say that, uh, I, like, my heart just kind of flutters a I, little bit. I knew you'd be proud of me. I am proud. That's why but, I said yeah, it. <laughs> everyone's proud. I, think, I love when you like me, Casey. There's nothing you could do to make me not like you. <laughs> All right. Let's not look too far into that. I'm not going to actively try. Yeah, let's brainstorm. Sake. How can we ruin it? No, so that's, I don't know. It's it's one of those trees where I think it is so, it's just a workhorse. Yeah. And it is, it's a tree you walk around. It's not, there's nothing, like this is, is going to be a little harsh. There's nothing outstanding about it except for it's just ability to withstand. And that is outstanding in itself. Right, outstanding withstanding. Yes. Besides its capaciousness, <laughs> I'm curious what other what other, you know, you mentioned you mentioned wind. Oh, uh, yeah. you mentioned like rainfall collectors. Right, because of like the benefits that trees provide. Yeah. So, it is an important tree in the streets because we plant street trees and we manage them and we hire entire like legions of people to take care of these trees, not because they're just these nice things to have around. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do other episodes where we kind of go into a little bit more detail um, on these things that are called ecosystem services. And that's what these trees do. So the European hornbeam is extremely good at being a tough tree and surviving. So because it's a big, tough tree, it grows out over the roads, it shades the sidewalks, it shades buildings. What it does is it helps to reduce the heat island effect. Have you heard of this? Uh, I think so. It just like is the, the heat level of a city, like how hot the city gets. Yes. Because cities get hot. Yeah. And it's specifically in... Uh, comparison to the non-city or the more rural or the less developed areas around. Just outside of it? Exactly. Okay. So like you're standing downtown the Pearl District. You just got your your chai latte. Mm. You're chilling out on your fixed gear bike and you're just like, <laughs> man, I'm so hot on the hard mean streets of Hoyt Street, yeah. Portland, Oregon. You want to go get cool. All you have to do, well, actually, luckily in Portland, you can go to one of our lovely parks. Ah, they're the best. Or the Hoyt Arboretum up exactly. there on Hoyt Street. Oh. Actually, no, it's not. It's, Shit. I think it's just named after the same guy, though. I probably. took a chance there. That was a great chance. That was, you know, throw a dart and probably. 
You're going to hit something. You're going to hit something. This time it's like my leg. Board or wall <laughs> or board. human. Yeah, one of the three. But no, you go out from downtown Portland and you go out to, um, you know, 30 miles south in a state park or 30 miles, 40 miles south, um, you know, just like a field or something. Mm-hmm. And same day, same latitude, all other conditions being equal. And there could be upwards of a 10 degree difference. 10 degrees? Yeah, Fahrenheit, which is wow. I believe about seven degrees Celsius. So the trees really help in that. Yes, they do. So in this, uh, for this tree, the European hornbeam, yeah. it is extremely... Extremely good at surviving in these really tough conditions and then without asking for anything but maybe a little bit of water during Mm. those times, it will just continue to thrive and it will end up shading the roads. Once it shades the roads, the the pavement... Usually, if it doesn't have any shade on it, the sun beats down on it. It gets really hot. But the problem with pavement and other like impervious dark surfaces is that they will heat up during the day. The sun goes down. They're still hot and they still emit heat off of that. That's how they do it. Yeah. The The, trees. The trees. I I was like, wait, are we talking about the roads? (laughs) Oh, that's why that road is so hot. Yeah, exactly. So all you have to do is just have a tree shading that road and the cement will not be any warmer than the ambient temperature around because it's just there's no sun that's actively baking it. I know it's so simple and so so yeah, but I I just like I didn't put that together like how could a tree lower the temperature? But that's that's yeah. that's great. Yeah. There's well, there's actually a second way that's even f- more fun. I almost said funner. Do tell. Oh god. Um I think funner works. Okay. I, I really yeah, why the fuck not? Damn straight. Thank you. That was very, that was, that was affirming. This is English, baby. There are no this rules. Is, yeah. Oh, right. We're talking about it. I, I finished my tea, though. Yeah. Do you want some more? No, I'm good. I, I have a bad experience with the swill at the bottom. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> it was a, it was t- a stiff drink down at the bottom of yeah. that turmeric tea. It was, yeah. We're going to, we're going to let that sit for a second. <laughs> Um, the other thing, this is this is going to be the fun one for all the scientists out there. It's called mm. evapotranspiration, and it's literally the process of the tree taking water from the ground and the roots, pulling it up through the tree, uh-huh. and then it evaporating from the leaves out through the stomates, the pores and the leaves. The water, the moisture, will evaporate from the leaves, and it'll help keep the tree cool, but it also is basically taking energy from the sun and using it to evaporate the water rather than heat up the surrounding area. And there's, I, I will probably leave it at that because there's probably so many more like very specific scientific things, and we'll, we'll post about this on, the, uh, on our show notes, which everyone should go take a look at our show notes. Yes, always. Also, I will say that was about max capacity for me on that subject. <laughs> Your eyes were just about to glaze yes. over and I pulled you from the brink. We're millimeters away from <laughs> driving over the edge. I'm glad we came back. But I, I got, I understood all of that. Yes. And not a lick more. All right. We're going to stop there. <laughs> what was it called again? Evapotranspiration. Evapotranspiration. Yeah. What so, a word. God. Isn't it? Imagine it if you ever the the if you're ever like trying to describe this to someone ever again you okay. can just say oh it's the air conditioning of the city that's great yeah so they do those two things shading and evapotranspiration that help cool the ambient air and literally cool surfaces and so if you if you have trees on uh, that are shading your house you don't have to use as much air conditioning right. save a little bit of money yeah if we then if you save 
let's say over a course of an entire year, 15 bucks off of not using your air conditioning so much. Mm-hmm. And then you calculate that out for these, you know, hundreds and thousands of people in houses that live in this area. Oh, sure. If each one is shaded or all these buildings, then all of a sudden you are saving literally millions of dollars potentially. Wow. Not only that, you're losing or you're not using that much carbon and energy in order to cool your house. And oh, see, these just compound. <laughs> If you have a bunch of trees that are shading you and your neighbor's houses, then the ambient air outside is also going to be cooler, right. and you're not going to have these buildings and cement pathways and everything radiating heat. Because of evapotranspiration. Exactly. <laughs> you're so proud. <laughs> I'm proud. We're I all ha- proud. I, I interrupted you to say that because I was about <laughs> to forget it. I know. It's like a liliopolis lately. <laughs> okay. We're not talking about <laughs> a liliopathy again. Well, so it turns out that if you do that across everything, you could just open up your windows and then you have this nice breeze and everything's yeah. cool. So it, it compounds really quickly if you have trees all over the place. So even though I think that the European hornbeam is a little bit overplanted. Oh, you think everything's overplanted. I know. I, I'm just so bitter. <laughs> like an old man. So like, get off my lawn, hornbeam. I thought you were about to say, like a European hornbeam. It's like, <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me the leaves were better. Yeah, I don't know if you're that bitter. <laughs> But it's it. It's just one of those things where if you plant one, great. If you plant six, twice as great. You know, you just get more yeah, and more and more. Okay. Yeah. So the European hornbeam is a stalwart of every urban forest because they are one of the best trees at living and producing these great benefits. Of which there are more, like pollution mitigation, rainwater interception. They make like lower stress. All these things. You, I mean, uh, it sounds to me like trees are a great investment. Trees are a great investment. By the way, I have an investment company called Trees. <laughs> I just, I don't know if I told you that. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I, this is completely, um, this is just uh, selfless, sh- selfless plugging for trees. Yeah, we just, we just like trees. Well, you just yeah. like trees. I also like trees, but that's true. I we would all, say you like trees more than I, I do. think. That's that's fair. Without uh-huh. dis- without disparaging your love, your like of trees. Yeah, I have a new budding. Uh, oh my gosh, that was love of trees. The second, oh, that, that was the second pun we've made on this podcast. That's right. We've only made two now. <laughs> all the rest come to us. <laughs> Well, Casey, I think this is about the perfect time to give our rating. I think so. To the European horn beam. We are going to give this tree a rating from zero to 10 golden cones of honor. Casey, as our resident expert, as Mm. always, we begin with you. I am going to jump off. And I'm going to jump off by giving this a 7.5. Whoa, right away. I'm going to just going to give you the number and I'm going to explain why. Hey, cool. Hey, I've thought about it. Um, a five. I don't think five is average in this. This is my, this is my own thought. Yes. I don't know where you feel, where you come down on that. I want to hear more from your, from okay. you. So I feel like if, if you go to five, it's like, it's an average tree. It just is, you know, it's good. It, it's not bad. It's, it's neutral, right? Mm-hmm. I think the horn beam is above neutral. I don't think it's special. Like I said, it's a stalwart. It's a kind of tree that you can always depend on. So it's mm. just like, you know what? I, I just need to go get that same meal that I love. I know exactly what it's going to be. I know exactly what I'm going to expect. Uh, there's uh, one of the guys I follow, Jews Who Love Trees is his name. He's, he's the funniest thing. I'm sorry. I just have to laugh. Every time I think 
about his like his Instagram. And he's like, this is the Tom Hanks of the Pinecone world. And he was talking about the Ponderosa Pine. I think that the uh, European Hornbeam is the Tom Hanks of the tree world. Wow. Yeah. So although Tom Hanks is, is a great, great dude. I can see it. I think that it's it's just it's just perfect enough. You can always depend on it, but eh, it's not exceptional. But I think it is a 7.5. It has everything you want in a tree, but it does not overproduce and it does not underproduce. It's exactly right. So wow. That's, that's why I get a 7.5. A 7.5, fantastic yeah. rating. There you go. Uh Casey, you called it you called uh, the European hornbeam the Tom Hanks of the tree world. Yeah. I will draw my own analogy from a world that I'm familiar with, I think the European hornbeam is the Wendy's Dave's double <laughs> of the tree world. <laughs> that I love that description already. The Dave's double is a fantastic. I don't know anything about the Dave's double. We got to get you to Wendy's, my man. Tell me about this Dave's double. I'm not, like, I'm not huge into fast food. I'm not like a fast food eater, but yeah. if I want like a quick fast mm. food burger it's gonna be the dave's double from Wendy's. Gotcha. it's you know exactly what you're getting that yes but also i think it's like a quality hamburger for being fast food all right it, like what what did you say it was it's as perfectly as good as it needs to be yes there you go <laughs> that's exactly how i feel about the dave's double from wendy's uh i loved i loved some of the words you used one one other of my favorite words stalwart calling it a stalwart of of the urban forest what a beautiful thing to say. It's really nice of you to say. Yeah, I I think it's I you know little insider secret of these episodes is when we start I kind of have a preconceived notion of a tree and what I'm going to rate it. Uh I came into this thing thinking this was like hmm, a five cone tree. No, right, yeah. Uh as we went throughout as you told me more about it and the benefits it gives, I started to I started to get this picture in my mind of a really kind-hearted hard-working tree oh my gosh um that just does its best and it does really well mm-hmm. and it never under delivers and it's kind of a thank it's kind of a thankless tree kind of is i personally had never heard of it before we before we talked about it today i love that <laughs> that's a secret thing within me that i'm like every time i can bring up a tree someone's like what the what is that i've never heard of it oh really yeah it's i mean know, stick with me I, <laughs> I haven't heard of most of these things <laughs> But I gotta say, I have a fondness for the European hornbeam. Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so happy to hear that. And it's a hell of a lot better than that that awful arborvita we talked about a few weeks ago. It's fair. If we're comparing hedge trees here, I give the European hornbeam a seven point five. A seven? Oh my god, Casey, I'm with you. My Is man. this the first tree that we were exactly the I, same? I think so. Nice. I don't even need to do the average. There's we're, there's only one point yeah. here. <laughs> 7.5.5. We are perfectly we are perfectly in sync on the European hornbeam. Oh, I think that's it's excellent. A, like if you asked me, you know, over dinner one night, yeah. what do you think about the European hornbeam? Like, that's oh, a fine tree. Yeah, that's a, about all I would have to say about it. I really like that. Like we're two businessmen like having a business meeting trying to discuss the merits of different trees. All right, well, I'll have the Chianti and uh, let's talk about the hornbeam. We we made we started a podcast with this exact premise. Casey. Oh, we did. Oh <laughs> shit! No one. Oh man. <laughs> I forgot. That was our review of the European hornbeam. Well done. Well done. Your hornbeam. Well done. All three of us. I mean, the hand leaf on the back. Yeah, leaf on, leaf on the back. leafing myself on my back. Casey, let's move on to our completely arbitrary question and answer segment. 
It's the first time I've ever called it a question and answer segment. Yeah, usually just Q&A. Yeah. I like it. Casey, this week's question is from Abigail underscore Morgan four on Instagram. Is there a type of tree that is best at reducing the effects of climate change? Oh my gosh. You know what the answer to that one is? Yes. Yes. And no, all at the same time. Oh, come on. It was now. a trick question. No matter what you said, I was going to be like, yeah, and then say the opposite. Here is here is why I thought this question was going to work well for this specific show. Mm. So this show, we're talking about the European hornbeam, which is, for all intents and purposes, an average tree. So in my opinion, though, uh, the thing that is causing the biggest trouble with climate change is it, mostly it's unsustainable development. Our cities is the big thing. They use most of the energy. They're basically filled with paved and pervious or impervious surfaces, which, Mm. you know, cause all these trouble. You get the urban heat island effect. It's where, you know, pollution comes from and all these different things. The way that there can be a tree, so trees that solve climate change, in my opinion, street trees. Any tree planted on the streets in a city, around a place. So like we were talking earlier, if everyone had a tree that's shading their street in the northern hemisphere, it'd be on the southern side, and it would be shading all of the things on the northern side, mm-hmm. right? Or if it was a big tree that was on whatever side of a house, but it grew over the top, right? And if we had trees that were shading every inch of every city where you fly over with an airplane and you can barely tell the difference between a park and in a city street and a uh, you know someone's house or something. That'd be cool. That would be amazing. It's well, it's pretty impossible right now. We have to change a lot. But what those would do is they would create a a huge amount of ecosystem services, something that is definitely going to come up in this podcast multiple times. And if we can plant 100,000 more trees and cover every inch of a city with tree canopy or shrub canopy or whatever we can do that's vegetation, it has this huge intense cascading effect Mm. of reducing the amount of carbon that we use. Not only does it, you know, physically use and store carbon, within the trees themselves and within the roots but also we use less air conditioning we maybe drive more because it's a little more convenient to walk you know and it's a little bit nicer and more comfortable to walk around in Mm. and we are, you know, happier people. So, you know, maybe we do, you know, other things or we can spend more time thinking. It's just they have these um, very intense compounding effects on the human situation. So if we wanted to solve climate change, first, I think we need to solve the absolutely spiraling off of development in the urban area. A lot of cities now are trying to like let rainwater, instead of uh, having it hit the pavement, go into a storm drain, go into a storm pipe, then go into a big machine to get cleaned. Mm. They're like, well, why don't we just like let it go into the ground and let these little plants and shrubs take care of it? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. In order, I think, to solve climate change, I think we need to use plants and trees for what they do best, which is provide these ecosystem services to our cities. And if we can solve the problem of the cities, you know, creating these urban heat island effects and all these other things, sequester carbon and stop cutting down trees everywhere. And if you do cut down a tree, make sure it's for a good reason and replant another tree, not somewhere else right there. Then 
you have you're, you're you're on your way. You're well on your way. But any given tree is not going to do necessarily better or worse. So the the answer is really all trees. Yes, are best for fighting climate change. That is exactly right. Or just get rid of all the humans. That'll do it too. <laughs> That'll solve it. I don't know if that's palatable though. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, maybe I should edit that out. <laughs> yeah. I have no plans to get rid of any humans. <laughs> yeah, no one does. We just have to figure out how we can uh, get ourselves back in balance. I think is really the yeah. trick, and that's. That's the problem. One day we'll get there, but we're well on our way. I yeah, I, I think we're very recently took some big steps in getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I wonder what it was. <laughs> well, Casey, we've come to the end of this episode of Completely Arbitrary. Yes, we have, and this was a delightful episode. I agree. I had I had some good times. Thank you so much for listening to Completely Arbitrary. Follow us on Instagram at Arbitrary Pod. If you have a question about trees or shoot anything email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com we will see it we will answer it we'll see you next time bye completely arbitrary is produced by alex croson and casey clapp our production consultant is olivia frankie our artwork is by jillian barthold and our music is by the mini vandals thanks for listening I'm Taylor. And I'm Tori. We are both landscape designers, best friends, and the hosts of Plantaholics, a plant podcast where we dig into plant-related topics every week. Topics include everything from earthworms to ecosystems. And sometimes veer off into random tangents. Like Tori's food critiques. And Taylor's experiences with Georgian films. We also do drunk botany segments showcasing the plants that bring you your favorite alcoholic beverages. Well, maybe getting a little bit tipsy. If you love plants or are even slightly interested in plants, then this is the podcast for you. Listen and subscribe to Plantaholics. New episodes every Monday, wherever you listen. Thank you. Thank you.